You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to the main stage. Thank you so much for coming to Music Tectonics. Super excited to have you all here. Um, this has been an amazing, amazing couple of days. And I'm so grateful to everyone for showing up. And I'm also grateful that we've had some great big picture speakers on this stage like Scott Cohen, Mark Mulligan, and now Sherry, who is gonna be here in just a sec. Sherry is an inspiration to all of us. She operates her own career as a researcher and writer following the same cutting edge principles we hear pundits telling artists to do. She owns her fan relationships. She engages across social platforms with authenticity. She's building passive revenue to scale using subscriptions, and she is always trying out something new. And now she's working on her first book. And today we're gonna get an early insight to her research and thinking around this. We get to flip the entire Music Tectonics Conference on its head because Sherry's book is about what artists can take away from entrepreneurial and startup approaches. Please welcome to the stage, Sherry Hu. And you hear the crowds in the background. It's all uh, chaos, but. <laughs> also, I was not expecting that hat. That was definitely a surprise. <laughs> You so, ask for thank more you. hat, you get more hat. <laughs> All about the costumes, and, and even if it wasn't Halloween. I mean, it was so funny because Mark Mulligan, uh, on one of our previous things, he busted out this, you know, this early um, armor helmet, yes. and then he did it again, again today. Um, he, you know, he's a big history buff. So, you know, we're just going with the flow. We're building our own traditions here. How are you doing today, Sherry? Good, good. I'm doing well. I'm excited for this. Yeah. How about you? I'm, I'm great. I mean, this is your, you're our final keynote here. Um, we've had over 800 people register and participating in the conference and we had 400 last year. So this has just been exciting, lots of great energy and you're exactly where I want you to be right here at wrapping up our event for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So let's dive in. Um, how did you come to this topic? I hope I articulated the topic accurately. How did you come to the topic of this, this book that you're working on, how artists could approach their careers as entrepreneurs, adopting some practices of the startup world? Yeah, thank you. Um, and yes, uh, I think you summed up the how I'm thinking about the book quite well. I think the inspiration for the book came from really what I noticed from the moment I published my very first article on music and tech back in 2015, um, I think also as someone who is who is relatively more optimistic about the future of music and tech, um, I noticed that there was a lot of historical and also like current clashing between the music and tech worlds. Some, um, of course, justified in the case of, you know, not paying artists and rights holders properly. But I felt like a lot of the clashing and like kind of the enduring clashing over time was due to the fact that those two worlds just spoke fundamentally different languages. Mm. They use fundamentally different words and mindsets for thinking about success, thinking about growth, thinking about like product development, brand development, all of that. Um, so from a very early stage, I was motivated by the opportunity to maybe be a bridge between those two worlds and help those two worlds understand each other, not not just in one direction. Um, and kind of over, over time, I've honed in on focusing on artists for this book uh, as the focus of that translation. Mm -hmm. um, and in particular, in the past three, four years, I'd say there's been a huge increase in, in rhetoric and in messaging around the DIY artist and the artist as entrepreneur. Um, this is coming from, from all areas. People are saying, oh, it's never a better time to be an artist. You know, it's, it's never been a better time to try to start your music career and, and release new music. 
Um, and in this, in this book, I just take a critical look at, you know, if, if we really want to take the concept of, of artists as entrepreneurs seriously, what has to change about the way that they run their careers, th their careers, sorry, everything from um, like the, the start of the creative process all the way to how it's then like marketed, distributed, monetized, and then also how like fans are engaged with as well. Um, <clears throat> and my thesis is that a lot has to change and a lot of it could rub artists the wrong way. So, so just trying to like unpack that um, analogy and seeing where it's really powerful and also where it just breaks apart. You know, before we move in, because I want to dig into what you just said about those different aspects of running their career from creative process to fan engagement and monetization, everything in between. But there's a to me, it feels like in the public conversation, there's a bit of a tension that exists. And, and you referred to that. Um, but I'm curious how you reconcile that tension that exists between artists and tech companies, for example, as it relates to rights and payouts. Uh, it's a really good question. I think with with rights and payouts, it's also a very uh, complicated question. Um, I'm thinking, I, I believe it was on Monday when there's a group called the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers who had just launched um, this campaign against Spotify, um, you know, demanding higher payments um, and, you know, more transparent contracts, et cetera. And they definitely weren't the first group to, you know, come out with those kinds of demands. Um, but I, I think like with, with the reconciling that kind of conflict, uh, it's definitely not a one line answer. Like it's definitely not an answer of just Spotify paying artists more. Um, with, with that situation specifically, Spotify has not been profitable for like 95% of its life. And if it were to start paying more money, it either would go out of business or uh, the only way it could afford to do that is if it raised like prices for, um, users or subscribers, which could potentially be a future. But I, I guess the point with that is that there's so many interlocking parts with, um, I guess, in the current system, just around how like rights and payouts work that can often be difficult to like communicate within an article. So I think, re so I think reconciling that issue specifically is definitely a long term, hmm. more like political and legal game than, than anything. Oh, interesting. That's that's interesting to think about. Is it's there's not an there's not an answer to it. It's almost like a process. It's like it's a it's an ongoing conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So going back to what you were saying just before about the different aspects of an artist's career, creative process, say marketing, promotion, distribution, fan audience engagement, and then new models for monetization. Let's start broad brushstroke before we, we go into them. Where are some general principles you think artists can learn from the startup or entrepreneurial world that will then will will apply to some of those areas? Yeah, I think on let's see on a higher level, if you even start from like the basic questions that any business in any industry would ask themselves, um, namely, what product am I building and who is the customer, um, who is the audience, and the kind of I guess how do I reach that customer? Mm -hmm. I think even just starting with those fundamental questions, um, there are already a lot of differences between the music and startup worlds. Um, and there there, can, there can be opportunity for cross-pollination. Um, one example, the concept of the, the value proposition of a product. Um, I, I feel like people think about that so differently in music versus in the tech world. Mm. Um, I think like in terms of the value proposition or like the value that a given product provides in tech, it is very much um, customer centric. You know, it's like, what, what can I build that will add value to this user's life? And then, well, it's something that they like that is worth paying for from their perspective. Whereas in music, because it is very subjective and emotionally driven, um, because it is an art form, the concept of value 
uh, at least initially, it, se it seems like a lot of artists approach the values just like their own existence and their own expression. Um, and this is actually an example of where maybe that, um, you know, this analogy kind of falls apart, or at least where there is a fundamental difference is that I think if artists think in too much of a customer centric way in making music, their own voice won't come out and the product actually will not be viewed as um, necessarily as good. So there definitely has to be a balance there. That said, I think one general like concept that the industry can learn from tech uh, is just like doing more user research and like gathering more user feedback and doing more um, kind of like low cost testing of either like the music itself or of the visual brand around it. Um, I feel like the, the music industry, like so many other entertainment industries, is super risky. Um, you know, you're you're spending so much money on creating this very emotionally driven, subjective product that you have no idea how it's really going to hit. Like many cases, you haven't really proven anything yet. Um, so any any way to reduce that risk without, I guess, diluting the creative vision on an artist as the most important part, um, I think is key. So that's where like you know, like research, um, prototyping. Even thinking about like the fan as the customer and kind of how can you create the most customer centric or fan centric experience around your music. I, I think there's a lot of untapped opportunity there as well. Cool. Okay, cool. So that's some good broad brush stoke thinking. Let's start to apply it to some of this stuff and go through those different career aspects that you brought up and um, and and how you're seeing artists integrating these these principles. What are you seeing artists doing to address the creative process itself through this lens of thinking like a startup? Uh, yeah, so I, we've actually seen this, or, or I've actually seen this increasingly in 2020, um, because I think by by the nature of the constraints of the live industry, um, essentially being on hold for the foreseeable feature, there's been a lot more openness to experimenting with the recorded side and kind of how an album is rolled out. Um, I'm noticing a lot of artists being much more open with making their creative process a, por a point of engagement with the fan and kind of realizing. Um, so actually here's here's another example. I guess people who are watching her from the tech world will be quite familiar with this, but I think the way that uh, an album or a song is normally made uh, is, I think an album in particular is done through what's called a waterfall product development strategy in tech, which means that you're kind of heads down working on it for several months, um, gathering very minimal feedback along the way and you kind of launch it at the end and hope people like it. Um, if they don't, then you just spent and wasted a bunch of money. Whereas kind of the standard in software, the software world is more agile development, where it's like kind of done in much shorter sprints. Um, you have the opportunity to gather a lot more feedback along the way. And you always make sure that, you know, you're kind of serving some kind of user need um, at, at kind of these much shorter time intervals. So I'm noticing the creative process for music going more and more towards the agile direction as opposed to the very traditional waterfall direction. Um, and this is manifesting in many different ways. Um, I think a lot of artists and producers in particular do this with uh, live streaming. Um, I think that the, the trend of producers kind of becoming their own brands and building their own audiences has, has been a thing for a couple of years now, but especially in 2020, thanks to um, platforms like Twitch, especially thanks to Discord in particular, which integrates with Twitch. Um, these producers are kind of building a community and building a proper business and, and making income around just their process, around just you know um, bringing fans into kind of their screens as they're making music. Um, I think a, a way of 
of I guess of that manifesting that isn't necessarily live is through these platforms like Splice. Um, I'm noticing a lot more artists, especially in the past few years, being open to making like stems or making samples, making their core ingredients, which I think otherwise would have been very secret or like very exclusive. Um, also much more open and much more a point of engagement as well. And then just the last example uh, that's more in the pop world, I um, got to play a very small part in uh, this series of Zoom calls that Charlie XCX held earlier this year. She decided to make an album totally in quarantine um, over the course of a month. And every week she would host a Zoom chat with fans, um, with the press, and also with her friends in entertainment, um, just updating, you know, updating this group on how the album was going, allowing fans to vote on album artwork, um, kind of bring, so incorporating fan input into the creative process as well. So all those trends are, are definitely exciting to me. That's interesting. As you talk about artwork and, and compare it to tech, it makes me start to think a little bit about almost like user experience, right? Like the, the music mm -hmm. is, is the product, but then the artwork and the video and all the stuff that goes around it is like the interface in, in some ways. Mm. And, and it's kind of interesting to think about, um, you know, how startups have to apply creativity to all of those things, almost like it's a seamless, seamless piece of the experience. Um, and so as you were talking about that example of fans on Zoom giving feedback on, on artwork, that it just was an interesting parallel I had thought of. Yeah, and this is, um, so in, in this sense, there are so many parallels between um, the music and the like the media or the news publishing industries. Um, and that's a connection that I think a lot about as someone kind of with a foot in both worlds. I think both music and um, news in particular um, suffer just by nature of how the industry is structured from not being able to own so much of how the user experience works. Um, I think a lot of artists can resonate with this feeling when I guess the context in which their music is presented, say like on Spotify or on, on TikTok, they kind of lose control over that just as the same way that a lot of news companies lost control over how their articles were presented on Facebook or on Google who were kind of eating up the majority of the ad revenue. So, um, so I think that's also something I talk about in the book, like is there a way to create an, I guess create a fan experience or an experience around the artist where you own a lot more um, kind of of that whole journey that a fan goes through. Yeah, in the in the uh, chat, I just noticed David Barrett said, have an artist often market tested a new material by playing it live and trying it out in front of audiences before, before recording mm. it. Obviously not possible right now, it's a good point. I mean, that is kind of a, a way to iterate and, and get feedback, although, if you can do it online, you can obviously scale that kind of feedback a, a lot further. Absolutely, and I think that's actually, um, it's, it's such an interesting and almost maybe a, like initially contradictory point about um, the ways that artists are, have been doing this already. It has been the lowest tech. Um, like it's, it's just been through by meeting fans face-to-face, -face. you know, just as I guess software developers would do like user interviews face-to-face -face or kind of, you know, one-to-one. -one. Um, but perform for them face-to-face -face and kind of, yeah, like see, be able to see their reaction and, and kind of remember it in real time. And I think what this year has kind of uh, raised for a lot of people is the fact that they never really thought about, <clears throat> sorry, about ways to do that um, in a 100% digital world. I think they had taken that testing ground for granted. And so now there are really interesting ways that are coming up for people to embrace the same mindset online. Yeah, huh. So, um... I'm, I'm curious a little bit about what, well, there's two things I'm thinking about. One of them is we didn't talk specifically about the album cycle, but it seems a little bit like 
you're talking a little bit about changing the perspective around, of, you know, you, you spend a year or two developing an album, release it, tour around it, and then start over or, you know, do some more songwriting and stuff and, and build into that. But when you're talking about testing this stuff, being more agile, you're really, and it's funny because it kind of parallels what we're seeing in just overall consumption for all types of content, consumption of content. Um, I hate to use those words, but nice generic words, uh, not very artist friendly necessarily, but, um, but uh, you, you know, like there's just smaller and we, we, we talked on music tectonics a lot about how music's been sliced. Once it became digital, it became sliced into smaller and smaller pieces. So part of it's on the production side, but the other side is on the consumption side. You see a snippet of a song in a TikTok, and all of a sudden people are listening to seven second songs. They're no longer, you know, full on songs. Um, hmm. I'm just curious if you have thoughts on the chicken or egg kind of aspect of ch changing this perspective on album, you know, the album cycle versus the song cycle versus the sample cycle or the stem or mm. you know, all those things. What's what's got us there? Is it is it just the technology or is it absolutely consumption habits? Yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting question. I think I think one um, fact that is always like I guess worth driving home in these conversations, first and foremost, is that um, music has always molded to the technology of the time. Um, actually, I don't know if it's been brought up in, the, in this conference yet today, but... Um, well, uh, Nauman showed a, a piano a piano roll and said that is a mechanical, that's a mechanical right Yes. There. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, that's a perfect example on the legal side. Um, but also it's like, there's still so many albums out there that are around like 40 to 50 minutes, even though there's like so much freedom for experimentation and, you know, compression or expansion and that's because like the two sides of the vinyl record could host at most 45 to 50 minutes of music and like that's just an example of how you know a format even over the course of decades has still kind of imprinted in our minds what the ideal length of a given musical project should be um and so so in terms of kind of the cycle shortening from album to song to sample uh i think a lot of it is due to I, I think that the payment incentives of these streaming platforms themselves, um, both like the, the payout incentives and also just the user experiences of those services where they're, they're always like nudging you to discover more music and they're always encouraging you to diversify your listening as opposed to necessarily just spending time with, you know, the same album for a really long time, mm -hmm. which is easier to do in a, in a physical, like physical format world. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, so, like royalties, you know, a song that's 40 seconds will be paid out the or accounted for the exact same way as a song that's 10 minutes on Spotify is definitely incentivized uh, shorter tracks in general. Um, and then you, know, you mentioned like TikTok in particular. Um, it, it is really interesting, kind of the, the direct line in a lot of cases between virality on TikTok and then subsequent streaming um, on DSPs. And so I think that's why a lot of labels are chasing kind of that virality and that impact. But then also on TikTok, yeah, you can have a totally viral video um, that's only, you know, 10 seconds long. And if anything, on TikTok, you're even more incentivized to um, have like the highest concentration of entertainment per second. Um, so that's like even more the goal. Uh, that's more like matching music to the nature of the video as opposed to necessarily drawing out um, a song like as long as you need um in in for, for for tiktok specifically it will be interesting to see over time if people get tired of 
scrolling through TikToks all the time or seeing the same mm. dance moves around the same seven second clips. And now it might be a pendulum sw swing to more. I mean, people in the chat are talking about what about longer albums? You know, um, you know, how do you create a full piece of art? Things like that, which I think are totally legit from an artist's perspective. But I think at some point from a consumer perspective, you'll see other stuff. And, and we're still seeing things reveal, being revealed about whether that seven second memification in a, in a social video leads to deeper listening. It certainly, it certainly looks like it, it actually is, but um, it's, it's pretty early to see. Um, what about fan engagement? That's another, uh, another part of the process in, in an artist's career. What new practices are you seeing emerge there? Yeah, with fan engagement, um, so, so especially this year, I guess, like thinking about specifically the pandemic, um, how I think about it is that in a lot of ways, it's like gone to models that are not new at all, um, and that have been around for decades, but then they're definitely new kind of more forward looking models that are emerging. So on in the first category on the older side, um, I think it's very uh, amusing that buying music seems in vogue again, like the fact that companies like Bandcamp um, have gotten like featured in the Financial Times and the LA Times, um, and they kind of like come to the forefront. I would say, yeah, much more than Spotify as like as a platform that artists are sharing um, to fans to like you know buy their music directly and support them. Um, I think in general to to bring it back to the the efficacy of touring and how touring was such an effective model, um, both for fan engagement, fan research, feedback, and also income. I think one major theme that um, every artist and their team is thinking about this year or artists who were like performing a lot and on the road a lot is what is the equivalent of touring online um, and, and in terms of checking off all of those boxes too. So not just something that can um, earn more income for the artist, but also that allows for that kind of direct relationship and that same level of emotional impact. Um, and I think there's a lot of reckoning with the fact that kind of the dominant aggregation driven streaming platforms don't really make the cut because artists can't really talk to fans through those channels. Um, they don't own any of the data. Um, depending on their distributor, they might be waiting several months to get paid or depending on their contract you know, with their label. Um, so just any channel that is more immediate and direct and intimate um, at the level of kind of in-person touring, I think that's kind of the common theme around um, among, among all the platforms that have come up this year. So Twitch, I had already mentioned, um, that's kind of like one great example. Uh, and the kind of ties into our earlier point about like the process being a point of engagement. Um, and, and if anything, like the value that the fan sees being less about the end product of the song and much more about the artist as a person and as a human being and kind of the, the connection being the source of value. Um, Patreon, which I guess I'm on directly, just, uh, that's a disclaimer, um, but Patreon has um, grown a ton also this year. I believe their music category alone has grown by 200% in terms of the number of artists on their platform. And also the, I think that the amount that fans are giving to artists kind of outweighs any churn that may have come as a result of the pandemic. Um, so I think that that's a silver lining. Um, and it's kind of like ironic that like that is happening, like more fans are kind of willing to support um, in spite of, I guess, at like higher governmental levels, you know, like the industry not getting that much support yet. Um, and let's see. Yeah, I'm noticing a lot more artists like posting community numbers as well. So just like any of these channels that allows for that direct interaction, which is nothing new. Um, I've seen it come up a lot. And then uh, just like quickly in the second category, 
Uh, something I've been looking a lot into this year is the uh, merging of music and gaming. Um, I feel like as game, I think as gaming comes more and more into the forefront of pop culture, like with um, with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez playing Among Us on Twitch, like, you know, gaming is like becoming, coming more and more to the mainstream. Um, in turn, I think these game developers want to build a reputation as pop culture companies and as destinations, more social destinations in their games to just consume media in general. Um, so that coupled with the demand from the music side to, um, you know, build more of these immersive experiences around performing and listening to music that has led to things like the Travis Scott Fortnite show, which I think like left a really lasting um, imprint in a lot of people's minds. Um, and just a lot more experimenting with other games too. Like Minecraft is a much more DIY approach to a similar concept. Um, Roblox now is building up their music team. Um, so I'm really excited about those as well. So I'm curious about something. Um, is there anything else from the startup world that you think we'll see artists adopting more of regarding engaging fans, especially early in artist careers? Because I, I think, you know, when, you, when mm -hmm. you look at an artist that already has a following and a pandemic comes along and they need to figure out how to like reconnect when they can't tour or, you know, production changes um, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, an artist that's early in a career that maybe they, they're just building their audience for the first time. It seems like maybe there's something different there that it's just like a startup, right? When a startup starts, they have no users, right? Mm. Um, what, yeah. what, are you seeing anything that makes a special, I mean, you can't use community to send SMS messages if you have no mobile numbers of any, are you seeing any practices there for, for folks on the early side of, of their careers? Um, so one, uh, so this, th this kind of goes to um, your earlier point of, uh, like artists probably not being comfortable with the phrase like creating content or like uh, being like artists as content creators. Um, I think I, I like had tweeted about this a while back and it caused a lot of debate, but but I do think that um, a lot of artists, not, not all, but a lot of artists, especially those who've been able to like build audiences um, at a faster pace in this time have basically uh, co-opted the model of social media influencers of um, game streamers on Twitch um, into their own careers, which um, kind of to the point of, you know, like the agile versus waterfall strategy. I think a lot of artists um, took pride in like, or were also more comfortable with being a lot more private um, and kind of like doing their process much more in private. Whereas um, I think especially by nature of the way that these platforms work and the way that um, their algorithms kind of incentivize content production, I've just seen a lot of artists um, just post a lot more online. Um, and I've seen this in, in some, like, it, it, I think you can approach this in a way that um, works well for the artists. Like I, um, so a lot of producers who are going live on Twitch, for example, they don't really like make a show out of it. They just like live stream their DAW um, and just invite fans to ask questions in real time. Like that even alone can be super effective. Um, I know some artists are like launching these kind of either docu-series or scripted series that they're just making themselves at home um, on YouTube. And a lot of it doesn't even have to do with the music itself. It's just, I guess I, 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 the way I think about it is it's not even just like uh, music marketing, it's human marketing. And if any way, that's like even more fan-centric or customer-centric than, than normal. It's like, what is, um, you know, like, what are my fans interested in that I'm also interested in? Um, I'm like, I, 
everyone loves food. Why don't I start like a food show? And like a lot of artists have been like embracing that kind of as a primary way of engaging with fans, whereas previously it would have been kind of just like a side thing, like a one-off um, partnership maybe, whereas now like those things adjacent to music are really coming to the core um, in a positive way, in a way that I don't think is detrimental to the fan experience. So you're kind of talking about this, this breakdown between the moment of musical creation and fan engagement. Um, and I'm curious if, if you think that's because that's what fans want or that's what artists want, or is there something else going on in society that's kind of kind of creating this, this interaction at, at this other place in, in the kind of the, the career? Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, as, as with a lot of things, yeah, there are like a confluence of factors at play. I think a lot of it uh, probably comes from pressure around the streaming model, um, which incentivizes, which or which rewards scale. And so for artists who I guess aren't able to um, achieve a certain amount of scale, maybe they do feel pressure to, um, you know, kind of monetize as much around the music as they can, including kind of like the early creative process or STEM samples, et cetera. Um, on the other hand, there are there are a lot of artists who have been on tour, um, producers especially who've been on tour and just don't like that lifestyle and just want to be able to find more ways to make income in a more diversified way um, without you know burning themselves out to exhaustion. Um, so platforms like Splice, especially, I think that like serves that specific need. And then this goes back to um, Mark Mulligan's talk from earlier, the the blurring between um, fan and artist, I guess, or between consumer and producer is increasingly blurring um, with the tools that are now available out there. This is a bit, I guess, adjacent to music, but I think TikTok is is a perfect example of this. Um, I've only made one TikTok video in my life, but even like in seeing that, you know, the, the range of tools that they have available and, and the effects that they have to be able to make really compelling, like well-edited videos, um, it just makes that process so much easier. Whereas I think a lot of people would otherwise find it really daunting. Um, and I think we're kind of, we, we've been at that point for quite a while in music too, where um, there's so many production tools that are available out there for close to free. Um, there are a lot of kind of, I guess, AI driven music tools that allow you to, you know, release a song technically in, in minutes. Um, so I think as more fans um, become aware of that opportunity, uh, yeah, I, I think that does make them a lot more interested in kind of learning about how artists who do it full time kind of get to where they're at. And they can, if anything, resonate with the process more in the same way that, you know, like uh, viewers of a game stream would resonate because they probably played the game before. I think there's definitely a parallel yeah, there. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's go to another category. You ready for another one? Okay. Yeah. Monetization. How are artists approaching monetization in new ways, similar to a startup or an entrepreneurial mindset? What are, what are the, the ways that artists are doing that? Um, yeah, I think it's the... The topic of monetization is more about um, mindset more than like tactics per se. I, I think so. I guess to to like bring it back to even a question of why should artists think like startups in the first place? Um, I think a, a major element of that is um, especially thinking this year. You know, with like Kanye tweeting out all of his contracts, there's more and more awareness of the value of ownership um, and a full ownership and just by nature, a startup or any, you know, kind of small 
business um, has has the luxury of you know owning all of those relationships you know with their customers with their brand with their experience um, and just the 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 path by default that so many artists are um, feel compelled to go down uh, minimizes their control over that experience so um, you know it's like oh the first thing I got to do as an artist is release a record okay so in doing that you're going to put your music onto Spotify where um, you have zero control over pricing um, you're automatically going into this very commodified, you know, landscape where multiple platforms sell the exact same products. Um, you just accept whatever royalty rates the platforms, you know, will give you, and you may wait several months to receive that money. And then um, you also have, I feel like gaming the algorithms on these platforms because sometimes you feel like playing the lottery. And so you're kind of like gaming, you're playing the lottery in order to try to get exposure um, on, on these platforms. So when thinking about monetization and business models, just anything that allows the artist to control pricing um, and also to reach the customer in a direct way and actually own that relationship and be able to follow up with the customer is what comes first to mind. There are very basic ways to do that. I think just like, you know, selling music on Bandcamp or creating a Patreon membership is a good way to do that. Um, something that I've, that I've been getting a lot more into this year uh, is crypto. I feel like, uh, I, so I feel like blockchain and crypto kind of had a phase in the music industry uh, around 2015, 2016, definitely died out. I think as these startups didn't really have much to show for themselves. But um, this year, as people are grappling with all these issues about, you know, like the value of music, the value of culture, um, there have been some really interesting experiments with artists selling their their create, sorry, selling their creative works and like audiovisual works um, on these kind of crypto marketplaces, being able to set the prices and um, and probably make a lot more money from selling their art on these platforms than they would get from streaming, and they get it uh, basically immediately. So, I'm so I'm really excited by kind of those more um, emergent models, and uh, yeah. So so with like startup monetization, it just goes down to like uh, very basic, but in many cases non-existent concepts in the industry right now of kind of ownership and kind of direct-to-fan modulation. Can you shout out any particular artists that are doing that visual, audiovisual, crypto sales stuff or platforms that people can check out? Because if you haven't seen this stuff, it's, I mean, it's pretty interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, people have very mixed feelings about it. <laughs> I think just as people do of the art world in general. Um, but so, so this is, this whole trend is, um, mainly emerging from an area outside of music where people are auctioning rare pieces of digital art on the blockchain. So there are these marketplaces like Super Rare, um, Block Party is another one, um, Nifty Gateway is another one. Um, so they're selling, essentially what they're selling or auctioning off are what are called non-fungible tokens or, um, yeah, I'm seeing NFTs in the chat, which are the, like, the digital equivalent of a rare baseball card. Um, like you can't exchange it like mutually with another currency. Um, and yeah, and, and what's so strange is that like in buying these tokens, you're not necessarily even getting the artwork. You're just getting a token that represents, you know, like one of the rare representations of the art. So there are many like kind of abstract levels to it, but um, there's a producer named Blau who's auctioned off um, a ton of different pieces of art on these platforms and made like almost 100K in a matter of a couple of weeks, which would be very hard to do on streaming. Um, 
another producer named RAC, who's also in the electronic world and has been experimenting with crypto for several years now. He's also, um, he's made his own community token actually that um, in that case is not an NFT, um, but kind of fans can uh, kind of buy a token and I guess have a stake in the hype around REC as his community grows. And, and REC himself too has a stake in that. Um, so yeah, they're kind of like rare art models and then they're also more community driven models. You know, it's well. kind of interesting because you, you talked about sort of how the, the blockchain crypto trend was really uh, a large part of our conversation in, in music uh, five some years ago and then it kind of disappeared. And what I hear you saying, I mean, what I thought the criticism, and we had that blockchain cage match at our conference last year. This was yes. like, say, all right, guys, <laughs> what's going to happen here? Yes. You know, uh, who, who's right or or how are we going to move these conversations closer? Um, but it seemed like the issue there was it didn't seem like there was infrastructure for enough people to be using cryptocurrency to, to really see that artists would be paying <laughs> being paid through cryptocurrency and, and so forth. It just seemed like an esoteric thing that everybody in society would have to adopt more before it was actually, before Spotify could pay out in crypto or track, track use could mm. be um, could be tracked on the, on the black blockchain in that way. There just wasn't, the wires weren't hanging out from the DSPs to, to do that or from the publishers or the labels or the, you know, any, any of the rights uh, organizations. But what you're saying is it's it's kind of like, okay, well, that got put aside and you just started to treat it like rare art. And all of a sudden, when you could raise the value of it, the there's you don't need that many micro exchanges for it to be a viable market. Yeah, and exactly. And it goes back to, I guess, this more philosophical question of like, what is the value of the music that I'm putting out and who is setting that? And to what extent do I control that? Um, I feel like crypto is not the only example of this, but it's one very powerful example of how both, I guess, artists and fans can have a much more direct impact on setting the price or like the market value of that work. And artists actually receiving that market value as opposed to in many cases kind of seeing it go off in the secondary market um, without their involvement. So yeah, I, I think I think in 2020 and also beyond, in 2021, um, hopefully th there will be more models that allow artists to kind of set the value of their music. I mean, what I hear you way. really saying is if you extract the, the the value of the music for the fan away from just a fraction of a penny stream and you put it with something else, something visual, a community-based experience, a Zoom call, a Discord channel, um, uh, a, a, a Patreon subscription model, a live stream concert, all of a sudden you immediately say, we're not playing the game of micro pennies here, fractions of pennies. We're playing the game of uh, an entire user experience that immediately raises the dollar value of, of each of those interactions. Yeah, exactly. And like, and yeah, in, in those cases that you mentioned as an example, the value is not just the song. It's like the after effects, like what are you doing to kind of engage in and build the best experience around the after effects, around the fact that so many fans of you know given artist music probably are going through the same things as each other. How can they you know connect through that? Um, I feel like those kinds of fan to fan interactions are also definitely yeah, underutilized. Cool. All right, right one thing that I haven't heard anyone ask you about, and you know I, you're hard to keep up with. You're very prolific, but I haven't heard you, anyone ask you about is how you walk the talk. It's the same approach we've tried to take with music tectonics, and one of the reasons I'm excited to have you closing mm -hmm. our conference with this fireside chat with me. Uh, it's because of that. In the music industry, we're always talking about fan engagement and interactivity, 
but we didn't just want to talk about it at the conference. We wanted people to experience it. The chats have been really active, more like a Twitch stream to me than a, than a conference one, super engaging <laughs> versus a pre-recorded webinar where you mm. can't really interact. And I've noticed panelists are even leaning into mm. the chat, just like a gamer or a live streaming artist would. Um, they're not waiting until the end to take questions. It's, it's more like a real-time conversation. And the same goes for the speed networking we've done with integrating between every session. Similarly, you know, we've had panels on gaming and mixed reality, but we're gonna have this closing party where people can actually experience what it's like to be in a metaverse, um, which is a very different impact on your understanding than just, just hearing about it. So here we are with you constantly exploring what artists can be doing to improve their careers and businesses. And you're running your writing career like an artist. You're trying all sorts of fan engagement and monetization approaches. Is this a conscious effort? I assume it is. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I'm. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily. I, I've. I've talked about this with some people, and some people disagree. But I don't necessarily think of myself as um, an artist per se. I'm definitely like a researcher first and foremost. I'm here to like you know provide um, more analytical insight and knowledge to the audience. I guess to the quote unquote fan base, reader base that I have. Um, but absolutely, in in figuring out what the first step was going to be for monetizing my newsletter, water and music, and for building my own community and audience. Um, honestly, like, so from the very beginning, that was the impetus for launching my own newsletter before even thinking about monetizing it. Um, it's because realizing that unless you kind of set that up yourself as a freelance writer, um, yes, you know, publications commission you to write pieces that reach large audiences, but you don't own that relationship. It's still their audience and kind of their ad revenue that they're going to make, you know, off of your article. Um, and then I guess on the monetization side, I definitely was inspired by Bandcamp and setting up a pricing model for my membership. Um, I saw the power of the pay what you want model and the fact that, that a lot of fans, if you give them choice, will actually contribute more um, instead of just locking them into one model. So that's why the, you know, the prices for my membership are anywhere from $3 a month to $200 a month with a wider range of benefits. Um, I think in media, what is missing, especially from, I guess on like the industry facing side is baking kind of the community and reader experience um, into the actual editorial and reading, like the, the actual editorial experience and the business model. Um, I took, I think given that, you know, organic networking and relationship building um, is so important in the music industry, um, I kind of wanted to offer space for like-minded people in music and tech to kind of talk through those issues, um, kind of with that shared layer of reading the articles that I was publishing. So, um, yeah, if you told me that I would be running my reader community largely on Discord last year, I would be a little bit uh, confused, <laughs> like, how would I do that? But it's actually been super effective. Um, I've been hosting, you know, weekly hangouts with readers in the Discord server as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess all, all that to say, I've, I've like... Yeah, to kind of take an inspiration from what I've seen in the music world, seeing that actually the media world is just as, if not even more behind on a lot of the challenges that the industry is facing in music um, and like trying to build a career where it could check off all those boxes. And yeah, the kind of the Patreon Discord newsletter combination is um, yeah, it's, it's that's cool. Really well it's, it's love. It's, it's, I just love how you do that. Like you're experimenting, you're writing about it. You're integrating into your own career. You're walking the talk, which is super cool. I love it. Hey, when is the book out? Mm, thank you. Oh gosh, uh, if, if if it all goes well, probably late 2021. It, it'll be like a slightly delayed 
uh, publishing cycle, but aiming for like All fall twenty twenty one. Do we have so a title yet? I, I initially said art the artist as technology, but um, that was that is maybe a bit too literal for like what I'm going for. Um, so maybe it'll have definitely have the words artist and startup in it. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't okay, have a cool, solid cool. answer yet. And as so, we wrap up this yeah. two-day conference, are are you have any other final parting words for the music tectonics community? Oh gosh, final <laughs> parting words. Um, <laughs> I would say, um, I, I guess this isn't music tech specific, but uh, election day is next Tuesday. Um, to each their own, but I would highly encourage you to vote if you haven't already. If you're planning on doing a mail-in ballot, hands it in person. Um, super important, no matter where, you, where you're living. Um, for something more industry specific, uh, I guess, oh gosh. I guess I, so something that I also um, try to, I guess, impart in my work is like more interdisciplinary thinking. I guess it is like kind of the foundation of this book, but I've learned so much um, in the past, five years from studying other industries. And I would just encourage everyone listening here. Many of you are probably doing that already if you're attending this conference, but you know, look at what the gaming industry is doing, um, the film industry, kind of fashion and beauty industries. And I think there's so much you could learn from those kinds of businesses that could unlock, you know, so many new kinds of opportunities for fan engagement. Um, and awesome. This has been great, well. Sherry. Thanks so much for joining us, closing up Music Tectonics. Will you join us at the after party in Deggy World right after this? Awesome. Yes. So you guys have I'll questions, be there for at least come, find, yeah. <laughs> come find Sherry and Deggy World. Thank you so much, Sherry. Okay, folks, that's yeah, yeah, thank it. Thanks well. again to our Supernova sponsors, AdRev, Linkfire, StageIt, and Super Hi-Fi. Download the Music Tectonics app where we'll post all the video from our sessions. You couldn't go to all of them, but as an attendee of the conference, you will get access to every video that we successfully recorded through Hopin. Listen to my podcast, Music Tectonics. We put it out every week. Can I get a big whoop whoop for our marketing director and de facto technical director, Eleanor Rust? And how about my world-class assistant, Shaylee Ankenbrook? I couldn't have done this without these guys. They're amazing. So amazing. And I must shout out the entire amazing Rock, Paper, Scissors team. They are my pride and joy. Thank you, Alexa, Christine, Jade, James, Jeff, Macy, Sarah, Cheryl, Tina, Tristra, Zainab, Antonia, all of you. Thank you so much. As you can see, they're pros and it's such a pleasure to work with them every day. The only thing left to do is go to the closing party in Deggy World. You're listening to Music Tectonics.